And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books? Nonfiction? It's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. Hello, welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. My name is Maggie. I am Harmony. And this week we're doing the 10 Books Challenge, which you're surprised to hear, Harmony's surprised to hear, it is what it is. But this one's really simple, really straightforward. It's pretty much just 10 wide open prompts. And the point is that you're not necessarily trying to pick the best book for that category, but the one that had the most impact on you, the one that just kind of comes to mind at the at the very first thought. So without further ado, let's dive right in. The first prompt is a book that made me think. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and say Against White Feminism by Rafia Zakaria, which I've plugged on this podcast 10 million times, but my high school library that I work at just bought it because I told them to, So, and I just shelved it so it's fresh on my mind, and that's the first thing that popped up. Very nice. In sort of a similar vein, I think I'm going to have to go with Clap When You Land by Elizabeth Acevedo, because it's the most recent book that made me think. We just recorded for it, and often some of the deepest thinking I do about books is when we read them for the podcast. Me too. The next prompt is a book that surprised me. Okay, so last podcast, I plugged and got beeped out this book called The Fate of Stars, A Fantasy Lesbian Romance. And I think I thought that this book was going to be straight erotica, and it was not. And that surprised me. And the ending surprised me. And I think the quality surprised me. I'm not sure if it's good, but I'm here for it. And it's a series. So I'm going to continue. Anyway, the whole experience was surprising. Your turn, Maggie. I would say a book that surprised me is The Prophet's by Robert Jones Jr. You've heard me talk about this book a lot because it was my favorite book of last year. And I think the reason that I'm categorizing it here is that I pick up every book that I pick up for the most part expecting to really like or love it. But I don't necessarily pick up every book thinking like, this is going to be one of the best things I've read in my entire life levels of good. So it ticked all of the boxes for me, but the way it just superseded any expectations I could have had for it, I think really just launched it into, into the stratosphere. All right, next up, a book that made me happy. This is kind of a hard one for me. Oh, okay. Let's see. The last, I think, lesbian book that I read before the S.D. Simper one, what was it? I'm just trying to find it. It was a Christmas novel and there was cooking involved and it made me really happy. Oh no, you know what? It was the book before that. I don't remember what the name was, but you have to go back and listen to all of our fun episodes because I definitely mentioned it. That made me happy. And also the author of the mermaid lesbian book, The Fate of Our Stars, is S.D. Simper. Simper, Maggie. She's simpering, all right. I think the last book that made me happy was maybe the last book that I read, which was Teach Me by Olivia Dade. Olivia Dade just writes really cute, really lovely, really inclusive contemporary romance novels. And she does it in a way that just I really, I really vibe with. It works really well for me. And the audiobooks for her novels are also really, really good, which I appreciate because I found that for me with romance specifically, audiobooks can be kind of hit or miss. I 
can find listening to the steamy scenes very cringeworthy for me personally sometimes. I love that. And I feel like voyeuristic, I think, listening to them in public with my earphones. No one can hear me, but I'm like, yeah, you assholes don't know. (laughs) That's so funny. That's just super, I don't know. It just hasn't, it hasn't really worked for me. But the woman who narrates Olivia Dates novels does a really good job and it super works for me. So that's the last book that made me happy. Conversely, the next prompt is a book that made me sad. Oh, that's hard. I have to think about that. I cry regularly at books, but I've read a lot of really fluffy books of late. So I need to think about that. And Maggie, take it away while I do. For me, this is an easy one. This is going to be Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. I (laughs) read the last 150 pages of this book standing in my bathroom because I was crying so hard that I couldn't leave the tissue sink situation to go sit down and read. The beginning of that book is a little bit slow burn. It, it was really good and really well written, but I wasn't super attached. And then shit hits the fan halfway through. And after that, I was just a mess. I was gone. It was all over. And that's one of the sad, at the very least, if it's not the saddest book in concept that I've ever read, it's one of the books that has brought out the most visceral reaction of sadness in me. I totally get that. I think for me, now that I've thought about it, it would be Booth by Karen Joy Fowler, which was a book that we read for the podcast. And that's where I've reserved all of my non-fluffy reading this year. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I just have a thing for family dramas in in general. And it's it's sad when your loved one turns out to be someone that you don't know. That, That idea was really terrifying to me. Yeah, that makes sense. That was also, that was a very sad book in a much different way. So that that makes a lot of sense to me. The next prompt is a book that makes me feel nostalgic. I have a strong sense of what Harmony is going to pick here, but let's see if she surprises me. I have no idea what you think I'm going to pick. I guess I'm going to try and go <laughs> for The Once and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow. Is that what you thought I was going to pick? Or did you think it was The Passion of Mary Magdalene? Yep. Okay, bingo. She's nodding, folks. <laughs> That does also make me nostalgic. I think I, I think I thought you would pick that one just because you read it, you started reading it when you were younger and then it sort of continued. But I think that The Once and Future Witches, even though it's a more recent release and you and I both read it around the same time, it has a very nostalgic feeling in that I feel like it, it has a lot of the magic and whimsy that you wanted out of books when you were kids but like set in an adult very inclusive setting it's nostalgic but it's also the world i desperately want to live in i think and it's and it's set in the past too right so it's fun and fantasy filled as maggie was pointing out yeah i think it's just the perfect inclusion of everything that i could dream of and that feeling for some reason feels like nostalgia fair enough i think that i'm gonna go with The Gregor the Overlander series by Suzanne Collins, which is the book series that she published before she blew up from The Hunger Games. But that series for me was really the book series that solidified the fact that I was going to be a reader sort of out of childhood. I don't know if anybody else had this experience, but I was like an avid reader in elementary school. I loved to read. I loved to write. But when I hit that fourth grade, fifth grade age range, the books just got, they got different, right? Because suddenly you were reading longer books, chapter books. And I just, I feel like I I was at a point where I had sort of run through the options that I was interested in reading at that point. I was a fast reader even when I was that young. So it was very, I think I felt like I had sort of like outgrown 
my library a little bit at school and didn't know where to go. And then I stumbled upon this series and it just, it was the book series that was like, yeah, uh, this is what I love to do. This is why books are magical. And I read every one of those books as soon as it came out. That was, I didn't get into, not that I want to hype up Harry Potter, but if we're going to be honest about a nostalgic conversation, I personally didn't get into Harry Potter until I was a little older. I didn't really start reading it until right before the seventh book came out. So I think that a lot of my nostalgia vibes that many people in our generation felt and are now kind of contending with for Harry Potter are actually more for Gregor the Overlander, which isn't to say that I don't have complicated feelings about everything that's happening with Harry Potter because J.K. Rowling is a fucking turf. But I think for me, that series is really what took the place of that like magical fantasy adventure story that I really needed when I was a kid. No, that's really interesting. I think that your your description of hitting that wall in fourth grade said a lot to me about development, I think, because I was trying to figure that out. I was like, did I ever hit that? And then I remembered that when I was in fourth grade, I actually thought I was an adult. So when somebody handed me an adult novel, I read it anyway, <laughs> you know? So I don't know. That's really funny that that served the perfect gateway to you into like teenhood or preteenhood. Yeah, for me, it was a really big thing because that was the book series that I think really showed me that I could handle deeper and more intense books. And then by the time I was at sixth grade, nobody knew what to do with me because I was reading books at a at a college adult level and nobody knew how to censor what I was reading if they wanted to. So by the time I had hit that point a couple years later, it was sheer chaos, frankly. And my parents didn't really have an interest in censoring what I was reading because I was reading and they were like this is fine um later in life <laughs> I think that they realized some of what I was reading and they were like dude what the fuck but as Harmony has told me about with with a bunch of data kids are the best self-censorers and if a kid is reading content that is too intense for them they're they're way more likely to stop and just be like nope this is too much for me I I, I can't handle this and I was very much that kind of reader but Gregor the Overlander was really the book that got me over that hump of feeling like I had read everything I was interested in reading and books were over, which is not how I thought of it mentally as a 10 year old necessarily. But I think it was just one of those awkward situations where I was also about to move to a brand new school that would have had a more would have had a bigger library. I just felt like I had outgrown what was available to me. And I feel like in fourth grade, at such a, I don't know, developmentally important age for figuring out what you're actually interested in as a human if I hadn't found those books, it's possible that my love of reading might not have continued the way that it did while I waited to have access to bigger and better books. You look like you're about to cry. Are you okay? <laughs> it's just so beautiful. The book saved her as a reader, you guys. It's gorgeous. Okay, Maggie, you can move on to the rest of the questions. I really love the Gregor the Overlander series, which is kind of funny because I don't think I've reread them at all since. But that's why it's a nostalgia-based question. All of these feelings are just nostalgia-based and how much I loved them when I was little. The next question, though, is a book I have a love-hate relationship with. I think I need time to think about this question. There, hmm. I want to say the book that we've already mentioned I feel like too much for this podcast but I don't think I don't think I have a love relationship with it anymore so I don't know yeah I feel like I don't necessarily have a love-hate relationship with very many books I would say one that I read kind of recently that maybe borders on this feeling is Our Violent Delights 
by Chloe Gong, which is a new sort of fantasy romance YA new adulty duology that's out on the market. And I feel like I have a love-hate relationship with it because I thought that book and its sequel were good, fine, solid three stars for me. But I feel like there was so much potential there that certain elements of the books for me were really five stars and then other elements were kind of two stars and that's sort of how we ended up in the middle. So I think that that's where the love-hate comes comes in. I think a little bit later we're going to talk about some of my preferences with fantasy romance. But one thing that this book did really well for me was the right balance between the amount of romance, the amount of fantasy, and the amount of just general character happenings. But the one of the things that didn't work for me was the actual retelling aspect, because it was a retelling of Romeo and Juliet. And I felt like there were just a couple of things that for me and my preferences were way too on the nose. If that makes sense. We had a couple of scene to scene reenactments. And that's not my preference when I read a retelling. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think I have a love-hate relationship with any books because the books that I find mediocre, I don't really claim to love them. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe that will change. Listeners, stay tuned. I feel like that's a really hard question because I feel like if I have extreme feelings about a book, it's either that I love it or that I hate it. Not necessarily that I am pulled in both directions. I have a lot of hate or like. I don't know. There are books that like I read and I'm like, that was okay. And here were the aspects that I didn't love about it. But yeah, yeah, it's like a, it's not quite as extreme for those books. Maybe A Discovery of Witches kind of fits that. Like, really enjoyed the fantasy aspect, but I really hated the main love interest. But it it didn't feel that extreme. Yeah, I feel you. I feel like if I have mixed feelings about a book, it often just ends up in that middle ground. And that's how I feel about it, is that it just felt like a middle ground book. Because there was things that I liked and things that I didn't. All right, our next question is a book that I have reread the most. I think the book, there are two. There are two that I think are tied, technically speaking. So the first one is Charlotte's Web, and the second one is A Tale of Desperado. I think I've read both at all stages of my life, and I don't know why. I guess those are my big childhood nostalgia books. You would think that it would be other things that maybe I enjoyed more, like A Series of Unfortunate Events. I do love those books. But those two really marked something important in reading and my childhood for me. That totally makes sense. The Tale of Despero. Oh my god. Just one of those books that I feel like many elementary schoolers are exposed to that book in this country still today. And it's just it's just one of those books that really I think paints why reading can be so magical. Because it just plunges you into this very, very sweet world where, especially as a kid. I haven't reread it as an adult. So maybe as an adult too, but like it really takes you on the emotional journey. You know, you're going through the ups, you're going through the downs. You don't know if it's going to be okay at the end. It's high art. It is high art. It's such a good book. The book that I have reread the most is A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, which is one of my, it's one of my favorite books of all time. But part of the reason that I read it to begin with, and it's part of what started my love for 19th century literature was because my grandma gave it to me. And now I had to buy a second copy of it because my grandma died in 2017 and the copy she gave me has a really beautiful inscription, but I've read the book 13 times. So the book is like falling apart now. So I can't read that copy anymore. I have to, I have to keep that safe. My grandma gave that to me. That's very important. So now I have a second copy that I read when I want to reread it, but it's just like all my favorite things. It's a, it's a love story. It's low key, a weird love triangle. It's the French revolution. It's talking about abuse of power. 
It's a banger. Charles Dickens knew what he was up to. He was a weird man, but when he got it right, he got it right. All right. Next question is a book that makes me want to travel. I need to think about this one. I'm not, I'm not sure. There's so, oh, you know what? Okay. This is maybe silly. Actually, I have two. I have two. All right. So the first is The Philosopher's Flight. And I don't know why, because that book takes place only in the United States. But I think because it's so like the people themselves can travel. I don't know. There's something about it that really embodies the freedom to me. And not just because they're transporting and stuff. And the second is Bloody Jack, the Bloody Jack series, because it's a whimsical preteen to all the way to adult traveling the world and living out historical adventures. But also it's not like Magic Treehouse because it's not actually for kids, but it's it's still kind of for kids. And it's just this beautiful fantasy world. And she sees so much and lives all of these lives. And for me, that also really embodies the idea of traveling. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to go with sort of a wild card pick as well, because I'm going to go with Daughter of the Moon Goddess by Sue Lin Tan, which I think is a wild card pick just because it's a fantasy novel and it's inspired and very much based in Chinese folklore and mythology, but it does take place in entirely a fantasy world. But it's very much, it feels a lot like a quest novel and it's got a lot of travel within the worlds. And I think as well, exposed me to a new story in Chinese mythology that I hadn't known about before, which was really interesting. We're on the moon, we're in this immortal plane, we're on earth for a little while. So I think that for me, it just, it gave me that itch to go on a hero's journey, you know, like transport myself back to ancient times and just do the thing. So that was the last book that really gave me the travel itch. All right, this one's a little bit more vague, because this is a book that gave me all the feels. What's a book that gave you all of the feels, Harmony? Oh, every single one? Ah, oh, I don't know. That fantasy romance I just read really gave me all the feels at some points. But I think every book gives me all the feels these days. I'm I'm open to feeling. So it doesn't necessarily matter how much I love the novel or the quality. Y'all are playing with emotions and I'm feeling it. I think the first book that comes to mind is a book that, again, I read pretty recently, which is Don't Cry For Me by Daniel Black. and. I think that this book gave, yeah, this book legitimately gave me all of the feels. It's about a father who is dying, who is writing to his son to talk about why he, the father, was so homophobic to the son and why he had such a hard time accepting the son's sexuality and just like the history of their family at large. And on the surface, I didn't know what to make of the premise of this novel because I'm, I think, a little over the general concept of something bad happens to a family member and then all of a sudden you come to terms with your own internalized issues and realize that you've treated them really badly. But this novel handles the topic in the most beautiful, sensitive way and it makes you really mad at some points and it makes you really sad at other points and it makes you really hopeful at other points. And I think that if you're going to read any novel that has that kind of basic premise, you should read this one. And then our last question, a book I wish I hadn't read. I appreciate all the books I've read. No, you know what? Ethan Frome. Fabulous. I think I kind of wish that I didn't read From Blood and Ash by Jennifer L. Armentrout. And it's not because I think that it's an inherently terrible book. But I think I really just picked it up because it was so hyped. And I think 
the one useful thing about it was that it really helped me solidify what my fantasy romance preferences are, which I think are that because I'm primarily a fantasy reader in general, I sort of want it to be 65, 70% fantasy, 25, 30% romance. That's just what I'm looking for. And this book was way more like 75% romance in a fantasy setting, which if that's what you're into, I think this book does it really, really well. But that's just not what I'm looking for when I pick up that sort of novel. So I wish I just didn't give into the hype because it just wasn't for me. All right, folks, that's it. That's the end of the program. Harmony, do you have anything you want to say to the people? Hi, people. Maggie, do you remember what book we are reading next week? I do. We're reading a book called Parentheses, but this was a novel that Harmony picked out and I'm not actually sure who the author is. Right. This is a graphic novel, so you all should find it. Maybe it's on your Libby apps at your library. And I'm very excited to show Maggie because this is one of the most beautiful graphic novels I've ever been exposed to. And the author, here, one second, I can find for you all. Please wait while I type. It's by Elodie Durand. Fabulous. Then we'll talk to you all next week about parentheses. Goodbye. Bye. Don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcatcher app. You can support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash rgbc and clicking the support this podcast button. Our episode schedule can be found in our show notes or by going to our website rebelgirlsbook.club and clicking read along with the show. You can follow us at rgbcpod on Instagram at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly and it's by The Gays. See you soon and remember to read rebelliously. Rebel Girls Book Club is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.